and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, supported this month by Spillers. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. I hope you're looking forward to the next month of horse sport. We've got Badminton and the Royal Windsor Horse Show both coming up, so it's going to be such an exciting few weeks. With Badminton just round the corner, our interview on this episode is with Felicity Collins, who chats to us about her successful badminton debut last year. The badminton in my head wasn't quite like the badminton in, in real life, but it ended up, once I kind of settled into it and got used to it, it ended up being, you know, one of the best weeks of my life. We'll then hear from Spiller's senior nutritionist, Katie Wakem, who offers advice on feeding good doers. Though often the struggle is we want to ensure we're keeping the calories low to avoid excess weight, but still making sure we're getting all of our essential vitamins and minerals. Now there are two ways of doing this and one of those ways we're going to talk about today. More from Katie later. For now, hurry to the mounting block and let's get started. So I'm delighted to welcome our guest on this episode of the podcast, five-star event rider Felicity Collins. Felicity finished 21st on her badminton debut last year, and she's currently preparing to return to the Gloucestershire Showcase with her top horse, RSH Contendor. Felicity, hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you on, and I think we should start off by getting to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little about yourself. How old are you? Where are you based? What's your setup? So I turned 25 in January this year um, and I'm based in East Sussex um, at the yard that um, I've been at for uh, pretty much my whole life really, about 23 years. So my mum originally um, sort of started off the business because she was riding um, and eventing full time and then when I was old enough I've kind of taken over the business and been riding full time and then taken on you know competition liveries I'm basically running my business as an event rider um at my base here so yeah very lucky obviously to be able to be do that and uh, to be able to do that and be based at home we are a little bit out of the way down in East Sussex um but yeah we've got you know some some good owners and uh, some good clients for teaching and stuff so I can't see myself going anywhere anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> and I know I was lucky enough to come and visit you at your yard a, a couple of years ago and your mum Vicky obviously did ride at the top level and as you say started that business but I know you're very much the driving force in uh, moving it along now and she says you're always the one who's having ideas about improving things or uh, investing and uh, and all that kind of thing. How many horses have you got there now? Um, so we've got 27 stables here um, and I have some DIY liveries who fill those stables and then through the winter, I have like schooling liveries and sales liveries and things like that when I have time. And um, so have up to kind of 11 horses, 11 or 12 horses in work over the winter. And then for actually eventing, um, I've sold a couple this winter and I've actually got a smaller string uh, for this year, all nice horses. And um, so I've got sort of about six or seven to uh, event this season, which suits, uh, you know, quite well, especially in the lead up to badminton. You know, we, we discussed about it and whether we should expand the string or not. And we decided to try and just focus on getting Mickey to badminton. And then we'll go from there and see what the rest of the year brings, I guess. Mm, and I knew it wouldn't be long before we got around to talking about Mickey, which is uh, RSH Contendor's stable name. I know he's the absolute apple of your eye. Tell our listeners, Felicity, how you first came across him and came to ride him. 
So when I first um, sat on Mickey, he was a very sharp green six-year-old. He had done, I think, one competition before I got him. He'd been backed late in his five-year-old year um, in Germany, um, and he was bred by uh, the Schockerwolf stud, but ended up coming over here to Sarah Jane Knight, uh, who ran Richmond Sports Horses, which is where the RSH prefix comes from. He was actually Sarah's last horse. She uh, ended up not doing doing horses anymore. So he was the last horse that um, she actually sold as sort of an eventing horse, which is a, a bit of a shame because ever since I got Mickey, I've been begging Sarah to find me another one. But no, she doesn't do, do sourcing horses anymore, sadly for me. Um, so yeah, I, I've, I fell in love with him literally from the moment he turned around in the stable to come and say hello at the door. And my co-owner, uh, Avrina Milton, uh, who was an owner of my mum's for many years and has been a family friend, came along with us to see him. And my mum was very strict on the fact that, no, we're not having another one. But Sarah had sent me some videos of Mickey and she'd rung me up when, I think a few people have heard the story, but she rung me up when Babington was Cross Country Day was on the television uh, in May 2015. And she said, I've got your Babington horse, you need to come and try this horse. She didn't have a rider for him because her rider had um, left the stable. So she'd kind of last minute been without a rider to produce him out of venting, which was kind of originally the plan. So she said, look, you bought one from me before, which I had. I bought one, a four-year-old the previous year. And she said, look, you've got to come and sit on him. He's totally your type of horse. Um, I showed the video to Abrina and she said, oh, we've got to go and see him. She fell in love with him. My mum kind of got dragged along. And I said, I've shown Abrina the video and she really wants to go and see him. So we're going to go and see him and you can come with us if you want to. So my poor mum was like, oh, for goodness sake. And then my mum's a very uh, tough lady to impress, um, as anyone will know, she's very particular. And we just, all of us, fell in love with him. And he was so green and he didn't really have a trot. Um, he didn't really have a canter, uh, but he did have a jump. Um, so we just, we, we, could, we couldn't say no. So we ended up bringing him home a couple of days later. Um, and he gave us a lot of stress in the first sort of six months of having him. He was very naughty and very sharp and very spooky. And we thought, oh, my God, like, what have we brought? Um, but he definitely made up for that and turned a corner. And he still is naughty and sharp and spooky, but obviously he's he's very good at what he does. So I kind of let him get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I know he was quite a challenging young horse. What sort of what sort of problems did you have with him initially and how did you how did you overcome them to, to, to make him be able to bring out his talent and show it? Uh, he just was so spooky and really scatty. He, he was just like an eel to ride. Um, he was very sensitive. I have never put a pair of spurs on him ever. I don't think there's many riders that can say that when they're when they're off to Babington. That's always been the case with him. And it was just he was he'd always been very, very brave with ditches and water and and things like that, which was surprising considering how spooky he could be and how careful he is. You would never think that he he would jump a big ditch and you know jump a huge drop into water and not care. But he hated colour change. So he hated fences cross country that were maybe white or had bright colours painted on them. Um, it wasn't really a question of him 
not being straight on a line, but he would take one look at something, um, you know, maybe four or five strides out and he would just take hold and hook off and just bomb off in sort of the wrong direction. He'd often turn around and go the other way. And he's not a nappy horse at all, um, but he was very, very, very strong as a young horse. So when he did take a dislike to something, his eyes would sort of pop out of his head and you think, oh, I know what's coming. And he would just whip off out the side and, um, you know, be, be off down the hill before you knew it. So he did that to me a fair few times as a young horse. And as people will be able to see on his record, he had a number of 20s from doing um, naughty things like that. Or if there were flower boxes next to the jump, we wouldn't be able to go anywhere near them. Um but what we basically did was just had to try and desensitize him. Um, and there was a point where we thought we might have to give up with him. But only a few months after we had him, um, we thought maybe he's just too careful. Maybe he's a show jumper. But he was always innately brave with with everything else. And no fence was too big. And he was such a quick horse as well. So we persevered. And we basically had to jump him probably about four or five times a week, um, mainly in our field at home, because I always found on grass that he was stronger and more excitable and sharper. So we would build fences in the field with tarpaulin, with tires, with blue barrels, with plastic, you know, anything we could find that was of a different colour that we knew he wouldn't like and build them into skinnies. And I would have to jump them, you know, 50 times in a session before he would actually jump them sort of normally without trying to run away from them or without jumping 10 foot above them and running off on landing. So we just had to do loads and loads and loads of the same thing. Um, and, and he is still spooky now. And, and people are always surprised at quite how spooky he is still. Um, I think people have thought that, oh, you trained him out of it and he's grown out of it. And actually, it's like, no, like he, he went into the main arena at Babington and show jumping day. He did the same at Bicton show jumping day. I couldn't get him anywhere near the cross country fences that were in the Bicton arena that he had jumped the day before. Um, they kept them in the show jumping arena and having to canter past them was a complete nightmare. And, you know, he'll go in and he'll jump the most amazing clear round and he'll come out and I'll be patting him and he'll be spooking and I'll be nearly falling off. It's like, <laughs> I find it quite hard to be able to praise him after he's finished a round because his adrenaline's so high, I have to really watch. So I keep my hands on the reins because he will just jink and I'd probably go out the side door. So <laughs> people were like, oh my God, he is really spooky, isn't he? And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, like, do, do you still believe me? because I think we hear these stories about you know very tricky horses at top level and then they go in and they're an absolute you know they're just an absolute saint at their job in all three phases and you think oh they just don't look that difficult whereas Mickey really shows how naughty he is and at the quarry at Babington last year he gave me a heart failure on the way in because he was just going sideways 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 spooking at all the boulders and the stones around the fences and I was like oh my god how am I going to get him to jump the fence but as soon as you, you point him at the set of flags and he understands he actually has to jump over it then it's a different story. Yeah. And I know that sort of once you were starting to get to grips with him as a competition horse, you obviously then had a lot of success in junior and young rider ranks and three team medals, including a young rider team gold. So it started to, to really have a lot of success with him. What were the highlights of, of those years and, and what was that time like for you as a combination? I mean, it was it was amazing and a bit unexpected, to be honest, because I had a couple of other horses that I'd produced through the levels. Um, Rainstown Frost was my first advanced horse that I produced from a five-year-old. And then Just Amazing was our homebred mare that my mum originally produced. And then I took over the reins on her and did, um, you know, her first intermediates and two thousand things like that. So I already had 
those two horses kind of competing at, um, at, at intermediate level. And it was 2016 when Mickey was a seven-year-old that he was stepping up. And I was kind of thinking of, I'd been on the long list for juniors the, the year before with Rainstown Frost and just amazing had finished second at Osberton in the um, two-star long as it is now um, in a very big class at the end of 2015. So going into 2016, um, you know, those were kind of the two horses that I thought would be my my more you know established horses and my best shot at getting on a team. But just amazing wasn't always the most reliable. She's a, a quirky mare, and I don't know whether they would have ever quite trusted her on a team. Um, and Rainstown Frost was um, you know a little bit tricky on the flat, um, and and you know he he just wasn't your flashy junior horse. So. RSH contender Mickey surprised us. He stepped up to intermediate level. And he kind of almost overtook those horses in terms of his his results um, as as a seven year old and did very very well. And ultimately got selected for the junior Europeans and was the best uh, placed British team member, um, finishing ninth individually and then obviously won team bronze. And that sort of medal that I'd been working so hard towards over the years, I I think we were all very surprised that it was on. Mickey, who gave me my first medal because he was only stepping up that year. So that was um, quite unexpected. But obviously, once you've done that, um, we, we kind of thought, wow, OK, like next year could, could be quite exciting. And he was a then eight year old, my first year in Young Riders. But again, you know, I thought, God, he's only eight. You know, again, he's got to step up to advanced level again in the spring and got to step up to three star long level. So it was all these kind of firsts and his first three star long was the young rider championships at, at Houghton which sort of fell in quite nicely with his plan but then he went and won that and that was you know absolutely unreal um when you know just amazing was the one that really should have won it because she she did actually finish on a dressage score that year but she was very flashy on the flat but that year was the year she decided to to blow up in the dressage so it was actually Mickey who had done a very good test and ended up winning that um and I think he won uh, another under 21 intermediate and just did very very well in his in his three stars and he jumped very well in his first advanced at Withington and yeah and then and then came third in the final trial and then you know I was off to the Young Rider Europeans with Mickey as an eight-year-old in my first year of Young Riders and went there and jumped double clear and inside the time and bronze medal so uh, it was it was just I think you are sort of for a highlight I mean the gold medal of the last two young riders was was really really special um and I'm really glad that I was able to do that in my last year especially as it was the year before COVID and you know had I been younger I would have potentially missed that year but it all sort of worked out but I think it was just more of the fact that it was so unexpected and did everything on him you know he's such a versatile horse to then have gone off to do his five stars as well yeah, and as you say, such a young horse for those under-21 championships where we often see those real schoolmasters. And you were sort of already moving up to the four and the now four and five-star level as you were riding in those championships. And it wasn't completely plain sailing for you when you first stepped up to that higher level. Just tell us a bit about that first foray that you made into five-star at Poe 2019, which I know didn't go to plan, but I think it's very much to your credit that you've been able to pull back from that and, and turn it around. Yeah, so... You know, we went to Poe and Mickey was a, uh, I think he was a 10-year-old, um, so still, you know, very young to be stepping up. And he was, as I say, always a very strong horse. Um, and and I walked the course with a number of other people. I think I personally let it get to me, the fact that this was a five-star and it was a really big occasion. And 
the pole course that year was one of the toughest we have seen um, statistically. I think there was a, something like a 36% clear cross country rate that year. Um, so they had built a really tough pole. So I'd walk the course and, and, and actually a lot of the other experienced riders and coaches were going, oh my God, this is really tough. Um, so I kind of think let that get into my head and you know I had varying advice um, saying you know this is a five star you've, you've got to really go for it you've got to make sure that you don't pull you, you can't take any pulls at this level the fences are too big you've got to ride really really forwards to them which obviously on paper makes total sense and, and it usually is the case at five star level however they were not riding Mickey and I thought maybe he would get to five star and he would back off and I would have a different horse underneath me. In reality, what I should have done is just ridden him how I'd ridden him around all of his four stars where he'd been very successful and, you know, had, had been really, really good. Um, and, and the brakes had been an issue a couple of times, but I, generally speaking, I sort of got them sorted. But but basically, I came out the start box and I rode up to my minute markers for the first minute and I just and I let him run and I could not get him back. He just, once he'd gone, he had completely gone. And I'd obviously got him quite fit as well. And yeah, I just, and you know, before you know, I think we jumped around about three quarters of it. And I had a really silly, complete flyby at fence four. And I thought, right, that's really early on. You know, I'll carry on now. Jumped through some really tricky stuff really well. And then again, a really stupid flyby just couldn't turn, just could not turn him to a, to a brush fence in the water, which was, again, wasn't really a skinny fence. I just couldn't turn it because I came way too forward on the way in thinking that he would back off. Um, and then he jumped around the rest and jumped around a lot of difficult combinations. And as I say, he jumped, jumped a huge uh, fence into the water, which, you know, I thought I better attack this. This is, this is a five-star fence into water and he might back off. Of course he didn't back off. And of course, I then couldn't stop. Uh, so, you know, I, I was obviously very disappointed. Um, and, you know, it was a long trip home. But I'm looking back now, you know, everyone says to you at the time, well, you'll learn something from it. I think I've learned absolutely nothing other than I can't, can't steer my horse and I can't stop him and I can't ride one side of him. Um, but what I did take from that was, well, he certainly is brave enough and he certainly doesn't back off anything. So... That was what I learned. Um, and then the, the difficulty with it was, is looking back now, it seems so long ago, but we then had COVID pretty much straight after that, you know, Poe right at the end of October and then COVID the following March. So I had no time to go out and sort of redeem myself, um, you know, redeem him as I felt, because as you mentioned before, he is the apple of my eye and I kind of want the whole world to see how amazing he is and I want them to see him as I see him. Um, so I didn't really have the opportunity to go and kind of show him off. So we had just, you know, three runs in 2020, very quiet year really. Um, and then luckily we were able to get back out in 2021 and show the world what we were made of sort of thing. Um, and then we, he was fantastic and obviously finished 10th at, at Victor and Five Star. Um, and I rode him a lot more you know, to to my own rule book for him. Um, and lo and behold, it worked. So that's what I try and remember now. When I walk courses, he he is an unusual horse, not like every other horse. And I ride him for what he is and not sort of what the rest of the bunch might be like. Yeah, as you say, it was a hard way to learn that lesson, but an important lesson. And you went to that one off five star at Bicton and finished 10th with a double jumping clear. So really, really strong result there at that five star and then came to badminton in the spring last year. What was it like to go to your first badminton, to drive through the gates, to hack around the park? Did you have that moment of going, oh, my goodness, I am riding at badminton? 
Yeah, I mean, it was, for me, it, it was it was quite funny, actually, because I haven't gone to badminton as a spectator every year, like a lot of other riders and a lot of other people have. So to me, it could have been like any other event, really, because, you know, we turned up and we did all the paperwork. And I, the one thing that stuck in my mind is I couldn't believe that, that you know, you go drive through Badminton Village and then you have to back up down this tiny little track to the stables. You have to unload all of your stuff, which is, you know, mayhem, and trying to not block in all the other lorries because you are in the middle of a little village. Um, and then you have to drive back out. Um, having dropped off all the stuff that you need and go and park in what feels like someone's garden <laughs> in the village. Um, so that was a bit like, oh, you know, you think you're going to go to have like a side parking space and it'll be all going, you know, everyone was like really crashing into each other. So it was like mayhem when we arrived. And then the stable, um, the stables were, I'd never been in the Babylon stables before. And I was, again, a bit a bit surprised because they're really old fashioned. And I kind of thought, you know, we're at Babylon, it'll be all this modern Thing. and I was like oh god this it wasn't what I expected basically um but yeah certainly you know being able to kind of graze the horses on the lawn in front of Babington House was was amazing um and then once I started to walk the course and was able to kind of because I've always watched Babington on on the tv every year you know sit down at 11 o'clock in front of the tv so I was trying to work out from how I've sort of seen it on a screen to then go, oh, and that jumps there and that's where Huntsman's closest. And everything wasn't where I sort of thought it would be in my head. I kind of painted a totally different picture because I didn't know the layout of it. So that just took a bit of adjusting. So the the badminton in my head wasn't quite like the badminton in, in real life, but it ended up, once I kind of settled into it and got used to it, it ended up being, you know, one of the best weeks of my life. It was amazing and I did really was able to actually really enjoy it um aside from the horrendous nerves so it was a very yeah very special week very special place yeah and and a great performance a 32.7 dressage clear cross country round with I think uh, 15.2 time which was very respectable and a clear show jumping round to get a double double jumping clear finished 21st a really it must have been a really satisfying all-round performance it, yeah, I think you're completely right. It was. It felt like for for us at the stage we were at our first badminton, coming off the back of you know a couple of years of COVID. He did the best he possibly could in each phase. Is how I felt. Um, you know, obviously the dressage wasn't perfect, but I just felt for him going into that big arena um, and performing how he did. I was very very happy for him at the stage he was at, and and knowing how he can be quite naughty sometimes and spooky and he kept that together and cross country I mean oh my god like that horse he is just like he, he is an unbelievable horse to ride and I just yeah had the round of my life really and you know I still kind of look back and I kicked myself a bit for taking one long route um but you know I, I'm glad was glad I did it but without that long route I, I would have been a lot faster um but you know still like you said the 15 time volts was was still of the one of the faster rounds um and then obviously he was one of four clear inside the time show jumping and to, and to be the first clear inside the time show jumping of the day I didn't know that I that I was and I didn't know that everyone was kind of waiting for that um because you're just doing your own thing warming up and when they kind of all went crazy and said that over the speakers afterwards, I was like, oh, that is really cool. So there, that was like our, you know, special little win of our own. Like it, it felt like, yeah, we we just jumped to clear around to, to win for, for us and for our performance. So it was it was amazing. I couldn't have asked any more of him. Uh, and yeah, hopefully we can 
build on that for this year. That is the aim. Absolutely. So uh, that has to be has to be the next question. Looking at your second badminton, how do you feel coming back, and what are the goals this time? Yeah. So um, he's feeling really, really good, um, which is obviously great. Um, it is a little bit different this year. I haven't had the same amount of prep that I had last year. Um, which, you know, usually probably a couple of years ago, that would have really stressed me out. But for for this year, I'm just trying to remind myself that actually, yes, he can be strong and sharp and all of that. But I do have to remember that he does know his job now. Um, so as long as he gets hopefully a good run at Burnham Market, because um, I didn't run, I chose not to run him at Thorsby. Um, so as long as he gets a good run at Burnham um, and then we'll have another training session at Bellevue with Caroline Moore, my coach, then hopefully we'll be good to go and just, you know, the final finishing touches to make sure that he's not completely crazy by the time he has to count down the centre line, you know, get some work into him, um, you know, before we leave. And then when we get there, and give him some time acclimatising and settling in. Uh, so yeah, obviously I would love to do, uh, to, to do better than last year, but it all depends on the course, doesn't it? You know, I might walk the course and think, oh, this isn't, this isn't quite so suited to him. So I might be happy to, you know, complete with maybe more time faults than last year or time is tighter or whatever. So I don't look at it necessarily as, oh, I want to do this test and I want to get this mark and I want to go on with this many time faults. I think it's all relative. So I'm trying to kind of keep that um, in, in my mind so that I'm realistic. Um, and then obviously he is so capable of jumping a clear round on the last day. So I'm hoping that we can um, replicate that. Um, but yeah, so so I'm really hoping that, that we'll have a good run. And I do think it gives me a bit of confidence that he ran so well there last year. But having said that, I know that they'll change the track and it'll be totally different from... Um, from from last year, perhaps I don't know. So it it doesn't it, it gives me confidence, but it doesn't uh, give you a, a guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a very sensible way of looking at it. And by the time our listeners hear this, we will be on the other side of Burnham Market. We're recording uh, just the week before, but uh, obviously hoping to get a good run there after so many events being rained off and and you losing your run at Thorsby, having chosen to withdraw in that wet weather. Well, Felicity, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your your journey to last year's badminton and uh, and and your hopes for this one. We'll look forward to cheering you on there thank you so much thank you for having me on thank you felicity and best of luck for badminton next week now it's time to hear some advice from the sponsor of this episode spillers so it's over to katie wakeham a spillers senior nutritionist Hi everybody, thanks so much. Great to be here today and on this episode we are going to be talking about the struggles of feeding your good doer. Um, So a lot of the question we often get sometimes is how to feed your good doer but not then compromising the nutrition, any vitamins and minerals etc. Though often the struggle is we want to ensure we're keeping the calories low to avoid excess weight um, but still making sure we're getting all of our essential vitamins and minerals. They often when we're advising in terms of feeding, um, the main question slash our priority is always how do we achieve what we would call a balanced diet. And when I talk about balanced diet, I mean basically achieving everything we need in terms of essential vitamins and minerals. Now, there are two ways of doing this, and there is one of those ways we're going to talk about today mostly, because this is what is mostly suited to our slightly chunkier horses that we're trying to keep the calories down. Um, you will have noticed in uh, you know the sort of horse feed market becoming more popular over the last few years. We talk a lot about feed balances, 
Now, balances provide essential vitamins and minerals along with quality protein and some may include other functional ingredients such as joint support or digestive support. So it's literally sort of a, a, a vitamin and mineral pellet, if you like. Um, so that's what we're meaning when we talk about balances. Now, the balancer market um, can sometimes be quite overwhelming for people. That's something else we get asked quite a lot, you know, and, and, you know, someone will say, I know a lot about feed balances, but which is the one that's right for my horse? Now, there's lots of different answers to that question, I suppose, and we do quite a wide range of, of balances. And particularly for the good doer, people are often attracted to the ones that are light balances or low calorie balances, etc. And there are reasons that those are most suited to those horses, which we'll come back to later on. However, the crux of it is, is that all balancers should be low calorie. All balancers should be low sugar and starch. So all balancers should be suitable for anything laminitic um, or, you know, your good doers, your slightly chunkier horses, etc. The reason I say this is because sometimes um, we'll get people that will say, well, I'd quite like to use the senior balancer because of the joint support. And then a senior balancer may be a good choice. So going back to why then we have low calorie balancers or light balancers, however you would like to term it, the Spillers one is called Spillers Light and Lean Balancer. So that's our balancer that is aimed at horses that are requiring to be very careful of their diet and perhaps on a, a, a restricted grazing diet, for example. Um, now, the reason this is more suited to those horses is actually because of the lysine level within this product. Um, so lysine is um, a, an essential amino acid that horses can't produce themselves, so we have to provide it for them. The reason that this is high in this product um, is because they are often horses that are on restricted grazing and, and um, forage and things like that. So they're going to be getting an even lesser um, sort of quantity of that amino acid within the diet. So we, we need to supply more within the hard feed to be able to meet their requirements. Balancers are also a really cost-effective way of feeding your good doer. Um, the feeding rate of a balancer or our balancers are 100 grams per 100 kilos of body weight a day. Um, so actually really keeping that sort of feeding rate down as well. Sometimes people are a little bit dubious when they see the price of a balance bag of balancer in comparison to the price of a bag of uh, pony nuts, for example. But actually, the length of time that those bags are going to last you are very different. And so actually, the daily feeding rate of it in terms of price is a much better way to look at it than as per bag, um, because a bag will last you much longer. Also very important for these guys that, you know, we, we wouldn't be feeding them a full compound ration because they just don't need the calories. Um, you know, for example, if, you, if your general sort of 500 kilo horse, 16 hands horse, for example, you would feed 500 grams of balancer a day. And to achieve a balanced diet with a fully vitamin and mineral compound feed, you'd have to feed around three kilos of, of a, a mix or cubes to be able to achieve that balanced diet, which for these horses that are needing low calories is, is just not feasible. It would be providing them with far too much in terms of calorie and energy as well. So another big factor in our horse's diet is actually the forage that we provide them with. And um, people often get wrapped up in the hard feed a lot, but obviously a huge percentage of our horse's diet is actually forage. Now, when I talk about forage, I'm talking about things in general. So hay, haylage and your grazing as well. So starting with grazing, this is um, for horses that are turned out, whether that's the half the day or whole day, full turnout. 
is a, a massive amount of their calories of a percentage of the day. Unfortunately, it's not very often that as, as Joe blogs, we would know what the calorie content of our grass is each day, but it, it is going to be a huge percentage of your, of your horse's calorie intake. So um, it's just being aware of how we manage that with our good doers. So there are a few things we can consider, including strip grazing. There's also lots of different muzzles out on the market as well. And just being careful with how we introduce our horses to muzzles, it can be a big change for a lot of them, making sure we're monitoring that they are still able to graze um, and just keeping an eye on that as well. But muzzles are another great one um, for us to be able to utilise for the good doers. Um, Obviously then for those horses that are spending time in, um, we need to supply them with forage also whilst they're stood in the box. So um, hay would normally be our, our, our choice for your, for your good doers. Obviously, horses that we're not worried about in terms of um, restricting calorie, ideally we would always feed hay ad lib. Um, however, today obviously we're talking about good doers, so we are going to be a little bit cautious of how much hay we're feeding. Um, so the, the total forage intake we must not restrict to less than 1.5% of current body weight, and that's on a dry matter basis. So once we've accounted for the water content, that equates to around nine kilos. If you're going to feed it dry for a 500 kilo horse without grazing over a 24 hour period. And um, so we need to be really aware that we're not restricting it past, you know, anything past 1.5% of their current body weight. Now, a lot of people will talk about how their horses will, as soon as they come in, they'll, they'll guzzle their hay really quickly. So again, there are a couple of different things you can do in terms of helping combat that. Um, you know, you can get really small, whole trickle nets nowadays, uh, or I know some people that have used hay balls and things like that. So anything that's sort of going to slow down and lengthen that grazing time as well is a really great idea. So um, there's lots of things out on the market that you can have a look for with those, those things as well. So another really important thing to bear in mind with our good doers is that um, safe weight loss does take time. Um, so it's not something you're going to see change overnight. So do be patient. Try not to be disheartened. Um, and actually, there are lots of different things we can do in terms of monitoring to see our progress um, and make sure that the weight loss is happening in a safe way. Regular monitoring being really important. And there are several different things we can do in terms of keeping on top of this. Um, one of the most popular ones and often mentioned would be using a weight tape. So a weight tape will give you an estimation of your horse's weight. It's never going to be completely accurate, um, mostly because of our horses are all different shapes and sizes. Um, however, it is a really good monitoring tool and it means that it's easy to see that we're going in the right direction at least. Some important things to remember with a weight tape, some of them sound odd, but really important when you are using your weight tape with the horse. Make sure that you always are uh, using it when you're on a flat surface. Um, so ideally on a, a concreted surface in the yard or, or something like that. Always using the weigh tape at the same time every day, um, because believe it or not, it will change from time to time. Um, make sure the same person's doing it. Um, we're all going to do it slightly differently and perhaps use the weigh tape in a slightly different way. So just to make sure that things are staying as, as accurate as possible as well. Um, we suggest kind of doing this sort of weekly. Um, you know, you're not going to see any significant change from day to day. And again, in terms of just keeping that motivation there and not um, not getting disheartened, weekly is probably a good way to go with that in terms of just monitoring um, with your weight tape. The other thing you can look at is body condition scoring. Another really useful way to, to be able to keep track of our horse's progress as well. 
Um, this is a way of monitoring the fat covering of our horses. Um, again, something that you would want to be look at, looking at doing sort of fortnightly to three weekly, um, just so that you can assess those gradual changes, but just to be aware that you may not see a difference to the overall score for a good few weeks. Um, so again, not to become disheartened. The other nice thing to be able to do is just keep an eye on, on monitoring sort of your, your belly girth. Um, this can be something that you can see a little bit of a change in generally a little bit quicker. However, that's not always going to be the case, um, but it might just be able to help you again in terms of keeping a little bit more motivation and helping to see those changes as well. So if you're needing some support and help um, motivation with your, with your good doers, it would be really worth having a look at the Spillers Slimmers Facebook group online. It's a group of people all in similar position, all sharing hints, tips, um, and lots of information from Spillers as well about how to manage your good doers. Thank you to Katie for all her insight and I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Horse and Hound podcast supported this month by Spillers. We'll be back at the end of May with more. In the meantime, do rate, review and share the podcast in your podcast app to help us grow the Horse and Hound podcast family. Talk to you soon. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.